the second mindfulness training, True Happiness. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I am committed to practicing generosity in my thinking, speaking, and acting. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. And I will share my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. I will practice looking deeply to see that happiness, the happiness and suffering of others are not separate from my own happiness and suffering. That true happiness is not possible without understanding and compassion. And that running after wealth, fame, power, and sensual pleasures can bring much suffering and despair. I am aware that happiness depends on my mental attitude and not on external conditions, and that I can live happily in the present moment simply by remembering I already have more than enough conditions to be happy. I am committed to practicing right livelihood so that I can help reduce the suffering of living beings on earth and stop contributing to climate change. Hi, friends. Um, I had the opportunity to have tea with Nicole this morning, and Mike was getting out of bed and um, wasn't quite quite a rose yet, and she checked in and said, Babe, are you doing it? And uh, I do that with Brian, too, when he's in bed, but I know he's, like, working up the motivation to get out of bed, and I'll say... Um, Baby, you gotta get up. You gotta do it. And I think it's funny that we both use those terms, like, you know, do it. You got it. Are you doing it? And we said how like we don't we don't give each other credit like after the arisen has taken place. We're saying like, yeah, way to do it. Like, you're doing it. And so I thought that before my talk, like, we would all look around the room and give each everyone credit because it's hard sometimes to get out of bed, even if like. Like good things, like bed is really warm, and you're like, oh, this is so great. Or if you're not looking for the day, or maybe you are, but it's going to be a big day. So let's just take a moment to look around the room and just say as many times as you want, you're doing it. You're doing it. Yeah, go, go for it. You're doing it. You're doing it. Way to do it. Bela, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Way to do it, guys. <laughs> Thank you. I know it's a little uncomfortable. We're so used to the talking stick and not speaking on turn, but I think we all needed that credit there. Ah, um, well, I um, I have a little preface um, for this talk, and I what I want to say is that um, this training is, it, it can be pivotal if um, 
to, to myself and to others who are finding the way towards true happiness. It can do so much, but what it cannot do is it cannot change brain chemistry or replace medication. So I want to say that um, those of us that are suffering from depression, um, this training is, is not the silver bullet, but it is a help. So um, if you have practiced with this training and looked other places for happiness with, with no outcomes, I think counseling has been just a, such a great way on the path. So I just want to say that this, this is not um, taking place of that and that depression is its own entity. Um, there's a lot in this training. Um, so, if you can't see, I've, I've highlighted some sections with colored highlights. So, um, what I'd like to do is um, three parts of the training kind of stood out to me, and I'm sharing three kind of quick anecdotes for those parts. Um, so, that's kind of my what I came up with. Um, and the first part that I want to focus on is um, in the very beginning, it says, I um, aware of the suffering caused by sexual or um, sorry social injustice, I am committed to practicing generosity in my thinking, speaking, and acting. Um, and I sat with that because social injustice has always been prevalent in the world, but um, I, I feel like it's even more prevalent today and um, and a, and a lesson came up for me, um, an anecdote, and um, and it's it's not about uh, myself with this training, but me receiving this training um, from my dearest girlfriend Carly. Um, she lives in Texas, and um, so we we have regular phone dates. We write letters, um, and on one of our phone dates a couple of years back, she was telling me. Um, about how wrong it is for men to tell her on the street to smile. And I disagreed with her. I, was, I thought, of all the things that men have yelled at me on the streets and people have told me on the streets, telling me to smile, I don't know, it's like not that bad. And, uh, you know, I, I use it as a practice. Like I, I think like, oh, thanks, yeah, good point, because like, I have my concentrated face on, or like my, okay, I'm going to Target, what do I need? Um, and, um, and she was kind of patient with my disagreeing, and the, the fact is it happened years ago, and I can't remember what she said to my disagreement, which is a sign that she, that she allowed it to happen, and she, she politely but strongly upheld her beliefs, her, hold, held mine, and then we continued talking about how much we miss each other and life in Texas versus life in Montana. And I'm sure dating and Tinder. Um, and, and then months later, um, there was an art show at um, the gallery I was helping curate. Um, and it was from the Stop Telling Women to Smile campaign. And these, um, and it features, yeah, oh, yeah, if you haven't heard of it, it features the art of Tatiana 
Felizia, I probably mispronounced that last name. Um, she was an artist from the city, and she created these these beautiful, powerful drawings of women with um, wording down below um, that really speaks to the oppression and the social injustice of street harassment to women. And um, and it was led. This gallery was led by teenagers putting this together. And um, I had never heard of the artist or the movement, and I did research online, and I had this aha moment of, this is what Carly was talking about. Um, and so I, I called her, and I mean, months had gone by, maybe even a year. And I, I just thanked her for introducing me first to this concept and telling her, I've come around, and thanks for your patience. And so in that in that, in this relationship with her, she was practicing generosity with me. She was practicing it in her thinking, in the fact that she didn't think any less of me when I um, wasn't wasn't on board and wasn't wasn't woke, um, and she didn't think any more of me when I was. That's that's a huge part of it. Because if she were to think more of me, it, it has mm, this. Um, uh, putting, putting an amount onto it. Um, she practiced generosity in her speaking in that she was, she was kind, firm, but, but kind with me. Um, and also in her acting of allowing that space to happen and allowing me to have time and allowing it not to be a subject that she pressed. And, and allowing me to kind of make up my own mind, come to my own conclusions. Um, and in my experience from this experience and from others, that's how I've seen minds change, is from all that generosity um, and patience and love. Um, and so that's in my work with seeing social injustice, I try to practice generosity towards others, especially those that um, view differently than my own. I think I've mentioned this before, but one of the practices I have is um, when something, when a friend posts something on a, on a social media page that is different from my own beliefs, rather than blocking or ignoring or like waving off in disgust, I try to smile at, at the differences. And, um, and it's a good way of practicing because no one knows if I'm practicing it correctly or not. No one's around. Um, it's, it's, it's easier to practice like that at home and kind of build up that, um, that generosity of spirit before having to go and do it face-to-face -face when someone says something that's very different or contrary to our beliefs. Um, the next part in this training that I, I really love is I will share my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. Um, I, I try to practice this um, by, by following my instincts. I will have these ideas like, oh, I should do this. 
And quickly following that instinct will be, oh, well, you, you don't have time or it does cost money um, or it will probably won't mean that much to them. And I, I try to silence those and, and not even go down that road and just go down the instinct road, which sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have that idea because now I have to do it. <laughs> Such as I was uh, at Lowe's and in the checkout and I, <laughs> those of you that spent any time around me probably know that I have a question that I can sometimes be known for. So I asked this gentleman what the highlight of his day was. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't having a good day. Um, his son, who he's estranged from, died that day. And he had just learned. And he had to stay at work and be at work. Um, this is what I find sometimes with the highlight question, is, is that you don't get the highlight, but you get what's going on. And that's, that's the key for the question. And so I, I shared space with him and shared time. I'm, I'm in a checkout line, so, you know. Someone comes behind me, and um, and I have to move on. So I had this idea. So I, I went over next door um, to the grocery store, and I got him. I thought, what what do I like on days that are hard? And so I got him chocolate, fruit, and a mug to like put it all in. And I wrote a little note, um, and then I went back in, and he had people in his checkout line. So I just gave it to his coworker and said, could you just give this to him? Um, and I, and it was my initial instinct and all those reasons for not doing it came up of, you don't have time, you're running errands. He, it probably won't even matter. What if he's allergic to oranges? You know, <laughs> these things come up. Um, but I find that none of those, you know, when I really look at those, they're like, they're like these bubbles that come up, and you can just pop them of, like, you don't have time. It's like, how much time is it really going to take? Pop! You know, you know, it's like financial. It's like, yeah, it's fruit and a chocolate and a muck. Pop! Um, well, if he's allergic to oranges, I mean, I have never met someone allergic to oranges. Pop! Uh, <laughs> so I... I find that those don't hold water to, to the instinct and the happiness that these small, very small things can, can happen and can cause. Um, and so I try to lean into that instinct, and, um, it, and it truly is a, a practice that has become instinctual, and it just, these ideas come up and... Um, I, I received a, a tip from doing an art class, and it made me so happy. I've never seen a $100 bill before. I have, but it felt like I'd never seen one before. And then um, the bartender working at the resort was having a bad day, and I realized, like, the $100, I didn't need it. It was just, it was just the receiving that made me happy. So I gave it to the bartender and got to, like, see. It was, like, double. It's like I got $200. Um, because I got the joy of receiving, and then I got the joy of passing it on. Um, and the last part I want, I, that is a smaller pinpoint is um, this, this lovely part in the training that says, running after wealth, fame, power, and sensual pleasures 
can bring much suffering and despair. Um, growing up, I was, I was really uh, passionate about slam poetry. And I won a competition that allowed me to perform with the Mayhem Poets from New York City when I was 20 years old um, in the Alberta Bear Theater in Billings, Montana. And it was going to be full of like 200 people. And the Mayhem Poets are from New York. And I, guys, I was going to be discovered. Like the Mayhem Poets were going to discover me, take me to New York City, become famous rich and I'd have my career like all laid out in front of me. I'm 20 years old. Now I don't have to make another decision again in my life. We'll like tour to Europe, whatever. The manager will figure it all out. I may know if the Mayhem Poets do it and tour through Europe, but in my head we were touring through Europe, doing <laughs> slam poetry. Um, and then uh, when I had the opportunity to spend the day with the Mayhem Poets, I realized like very quickly that they are just people working a job, doing a great job at it, but like not managers for a Europe tour, um, and that I wasn't going to be discovered. And I, and at the, I guess in the moment, I almost, I don't think I was sad. I was almost like comical, like, <laughs> like I can't believe I thought this would happen. Um, and it, I, it really has stuck with me the, all these years later in, in uh, not pursuing things for the simple act of wanting that fame and the Europe tour. Um, and it, that doesn't mean not pursuing art. Um, as those of you know, I, I am an artist and I, and I love having art openings and I love them for the simple practice of creating art showing art, and celebrating fellow artists. And that is why I enjoy it so much, is that after an art show, I pack up the art, and all my dreams came true. The art was up, we had fun at the opening, and, it, and it, it's the essence of being here now and not expecting anything more from it. Um, and I have been so grateful for this training and for that lesson um, because it allows me so much more pleasure and happiness out of my art um, than I could have received otherwise. So um, that's how I've worked with this training, um, by learning from others who exemplify the training to me, um, by going on instinct, and not the excuses that follow. Um, and by showing generosity to myself, um, showing love, generosity, and patience when I don't get it right. So thank you guys for listening. <laughs>